Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 6, verses 18 through 28 with Pastor John King. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to church this morning. It's great to see you guys. It's great to be in the house of the Lord once again. Today, we're going to finish up chapter 6 in Daniel, verses 18 through 28. While you're turning there, let's kind of review real quickly from last week. We saw that Daniel was put back into a position of great authority under the new ruler, Darius the Mede. His character and work ethic, that is Daniel's, were so impressive that the king had plans to place Daniel in charge of the entire kingdom. This triggered a jealous conspiracy among the remaining governors and satraps, and they tried to find a credible fault with Daniel so that it would be, he would be taken out of his position. Now, when this proved to be impossible, they devised a diabolical plan to convince the king to sign a temporary decree outlawing prayer for any god or to any god or deity except for the king himself for the next 30 days. You know, a short-term moratorium on prayer to any god or deity for 30 days. And anyone in violation of this decree would be cast into the lion's den. Of course, we're going to kill you. I mean, that's how things were in the ancient world. King Darius caved into the pressure and signed the written decree. And as his foes anticipated, Daniel would not forsake his daily custom of turning towards Jerusalem and praying three times a day. And he was quickly observed to be in violation of the king's decree. And of course, he had to be sentenced to be cast into the lion's den. Realizing that he had been tricked by his advisors, the king briefly tried to find a way out of this dilemma. He'd made a bad decision. But ultimately, the king reluctantly ordered Daniel's execution. So read in verses 16 and 17. It says, So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid in the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it, and with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now this week, we will witness the miracle of God delivering Daniel from the powerful jaws of the lions, and we will hear testimony once again from another mighty ruler under as Darius honors God with an official decree instructing all people under his dominion to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now imagine if a world leader would do that today. Let's read our passage and then we'll pray. Verse 18, chapter 6. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. Verse 24, And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions, this king? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Lord, we ask that you go before us now as we Come to your word, Lord. We come into your word and we understand um, that it holds great value to our hearts, Lord. That your word is as food for us, Lord. It feeds our soul. It gives us encouragement, Lord. And we know with all the information that comes to us from the world, we need your word to help us to take it in and to sort it out. We need your word to have a full understanding, a, a, complete, a more complete understanding of the things that happen both within our own hearts, but also in the world around us. And so, Lord, today we're just going to see another wonderful miracle. We're going to see another great deliverance, as you are so famous for, Lord, and sets the stage for the future. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would go before each of us as we come before you today, that we would be humble, and that we would fear you with a reverent fear, a holy fear, but knowing that we, those of us who know you, can come boldly to your throne because of the price that Jesus paid, because of the blood that was shed on our behalf. And so, Lord, we come to you today. Humble our hearts as you speak to us. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, here we see verses 18 through 23. Obviously, the story, like we said last week, that you've grown up with all your life, if you've been attending church through Sunday school and, and uh, as you've read your Bible over many, many times, this is one of the most popular and most well-known verses or pa- passages in the Bible. And here we see Daniel saved from the lions. But notice when we start that the king, after he had done this, as after he had sealed, that, sealed Daniel's fate and went away from the palace... He went and spent the entire night fasting. He was so upset that he would forego his normal comforts and entertainment. It says that no musicians were brought before him. So he had no food, he had no live music, or even a member of his harem. He was in no mood to celebrate. 
He had just lost his friend and the greatest help to him in the government, who he had designs on making in charge of the entire government. The text says that also his sleep went from him. He was so disgusted with himself for being tricked into sending Daniel to his death. And he let his pride blind him and signed the written decree. And the more he thought about it, the more it disturbed him. And here we see an example of what the conscience is capable of doing in the hearts and minds of every person. The ability for a conscience, the, 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 one of the definitions of, the, of a conscience in its working is it's the ability to understand the rightness or wrongness of one's actions and motives. The conscience is not identical to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit if we're talking about a believer. Although the Holy Spirit often employs the conscience in guiding people and convicting them of sin. Charles Spurgeon said that the conscience was the Holy Spirit's deputy working in the hearts of men and women. And we see this laid out for us in Romans 2, verses 12 through 15 by the Apostle Paul. As he, as he explains the situation both to the Gentiles and the Jews and how it relates to the law of God. It says, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Those are people who have never heard the Ten Commandments, never heard the law of God. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So as soon as you realize those Ten Commandments, now that is the standard that God will use to judge you if you were to die, if you were to stand before him in judgment. He says, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And then in verse 14, he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, they weren't Jewish, they weren't brought up in the, the Jewish uh, religion, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. And now he explains who show the work of the law written on their hearts. You see, the Lord has put the, the law, the, the moral law, on the hearts of every person. And their conscience also bears witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing them or else excusing them. And so it works, you know, in, in, in a way, and we see it here in, in uh, this, this example right here is a prime example of how the heart is you know, brought into conviction through the work of the conscience and knowledge of right and wrong. This was a pagan god, you know, pagan king, excuse me, a pagan king who worshipped many false gods. And here he was dealing with the living God through Daniel. Now notice in verse 19, then the king arose very early. You know, he was so restless that he found himself out early heading back to the... You ever found yourself there? You're up and you're out on the road somewhere and you're like, you haven't slept a wink. It's called junk sleep, right? Junk sleep today is kind of an interesting definition. It's when you... It's, it, talks of, it speaks of a person who falls asleep uh, on their electronic device. <laughs> Literally, it's a, it's a definition. So some of us, I, I know what that's like. I, I can, you know, you, you're reading something and... In any event, junk sleep, we've all experienced it. Watching and grieving and being between fear and hope, longing to be satisfied. That's where he was. He was watching the situation, he was grieving, and he was sitting right between fear and hope as he headed towards that tomb. And as he must have 
told the, the guards to go ahead and break the seals on his way. And so he went in haste to the den of lions. He must have recalled the final words that he spoke to Daniel that we read earlier as they were about to cast Daniel into the pit. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. He must have recalled that. And so in verse 20 it says, And then when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. Lamenting meaning he was in grief and he was in pain. He was, it was so unlikely. It was so unlikely that Daniel could have survived a night with the hungry lions. Apart, of course, from a miracle. And then the king spoke to Daniel and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You see, unless God rescued him, it was futile. It was a futile hope. It says whom you serve continually or whom you serve faithfully. And then Daniel said to the king, O O king, O king, live forever. You see, the king received his answer. And notice Daniel, he was already praying for the king's long life, even though he had suffered under his hand. O king, O king, live forever. And then he says, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about my Jesus, right? We have that famous sort of a popular song. Verse 22, he says, My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. David Guzik writes this. He says, Perhaps Daniel prayed Psalm 22, verses 21 and 22. Save me from the lion's mouth. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You know, many people have had prayers go to the Lord and they've reached the end of their rope and they've, they've you know, resulted in them coming to salvation or returning to the Lord or recommitting their lives to the Lord and they've made promises to the Lord. Lord, I will tell others about you. I will sing praises of you among the assembly and among my brethren. Notice he sent his angel. This is Malak, messenger. Now the Bible records over 50 incidents of angels appearing to a person or persons and doing the work of the Lord. Real quickly, you had the angel of Yahweh. You have the angels of God. You have the three men in Genesis 18. You have the commander of the army of Yahweh. You have Gabriel and Daniel and Luke. You have an angel of the Lord in the New Testament, Matthew 2.13. We see it in Joseph's dream. You have a multitude of the heavenly army appearing before the shepherds. You have a young man or two men in gleaming clothes at Jesus' tomb. You have angels in white. You have two men dressed in white. Michael the archangel in Jude 9 and Revelation 12. In Revelation, John has 19 different visions of angels doing all manner of things. Surrounding the heavenly throne, making announcements from heaven, sounding trumpets, killing a third of humanity. Releasing plagues, destroying Babylon, binding Satan, standing at the gates of the new Jerusalem. 
And so the Lord sent his angel. And what did he do? He shut the lion's mouth. Here is God's method revealed to us. Sending an angel to effect his will. These hungry beasts were miraculously muzzled. So that they have not hurt me. Now, Charles Spurgeon kind of makes a little joke about this. He says, well, in any case, he must have had a glorious night with what with the lions and with the angels all night to keep him company. And he was spending the night watches in grander style than Darius, who couldn't get any sleep. <laughs> so, oh, could you just imagine that? No, I don't think we want to try it. He says, and I was found innocent before him, not sinless, but he was living a pure life. And then he throws in there a little extra to the king. And he says, and also, O king, you know, I, I've done no wrong before you. By the way, O king, while we're on the subject of me being placed in this lion's den, I want you to know that I'm not your enemy. And I haven't committed a crime against you. Now, Daniel had a clear conscience before God and the king. Okay? Then we talked about conscience. He was innocent before them both. He was also not looking to be vindicated by his own merit. He simply placed all of his trust in God. Now in verse 23, we see, well, now the king was exceedingly glad for him. I mean, this was, this was so much joy for the king. And he commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Exceedingly glad means to rejoice greatly. His emotions went from pain and grief to great joy. Sometimes we have those things, right? Those great emotion swings. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den with no injury whatever was found on him. Notice, because he believed in his God. No injury whatever. This 80-year-old plus man didn't have a scratch on him. Because he trusted God's power and God's faithfulness. Now that, that certainly will bring a question to all of us, won't it? Does that mean that God always delivers his saints from a tyrant's death or an untimely death? Well, we know that's not true. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I like what Warren Wiersbe, how he kind of summarized this. He said, God saved Daniel because it brought great glory to his name and because he still had more work to do. God's servants are immortal until their work is done. And everybody has an expiration date. However, it must be pointed out that not every faithful servant of the Lord is delivered from trial and death in some miraculous way. We see it in Hebrews 11. It's names of some great men and women of the faith and describes their achievements. But at the end of Hebrews 11 and verses 36 through 40, it describes the others, the others who also had great faith and yet were persecuted and martyred. These unnamed others had just as much faith as the people in the first group, but they were not granted special deliverance. James, the brother of John, was martyred, but Peter was delivered from prison in Acts 12. Yet both men were apostles and faithful servants of the Lord. So why did God save Daniel again? First of all, it says, he says it himself, because I was found innocent before him. 
Daniel was blameless before God and the king. He had not betrayed God or Darius, but rather honored. And he also says he was saved because he believed in his God. Daniel had trusted the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. And there, Daniel was thereafter counted among the great. I mean, that's just the way it worked out for Daniel. And like we said, it doesn't work for everyone. Hebrews 11, 33, who obtained faith, they sub, talking about the saints, some of them, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. That was Daniel in, one of the, in that list, if you will. Also, we notice that Daniel had no injury. Not even a scratch was found on him. This is another example of how complete God's deliverance is. Daniel's three companions, you know, that were thrown in the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out of that fiery furnace. So think about your own salvation. Think about what the Lord has done for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul describes it this way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When God delivers, no matter what, whether you, whether, you know, at, in, the, in the long run, in the, in the big scheme of things as a Christian, it's a complete deliverance. You are completely washed by the blood of Christ. You will not be held guilty for your sins. Notice also, too, that angels do play a vital role for the purposes of God. Let's not forget about angels. We're reminded every time we read passages like this. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? The Lord sends angels into our lives. We may not know it's ever happened, but know that he's watching over you. And there's many times when we testify in our life that the Lord must have protected me. He must have protected them. He must have sent his angels. Or we even pray, Lord, send your angels. So we believe it, but sometimes I don't think we, we quite understand it. Here we see, finally, the king's command and a final decree. It says, and the king gave the command... And they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. See, the king won't be fooled again. Many believe that even if Daniel had perished in those den of lions, the king was so angry he would have done the same thing. You see, those men had accused Daniel. The word accused used here in this context means to chew on somebody and slander them. You know, when you... When you commit the, the crime of slander, when you commit the sin of slander and even gossip, it is as though you're chewing them up into pieces. You're, you're chewing them up with slander. It's though you're killing them. And this is what it meant. They accused Daniel. And notice, them and their children and their wives were all sent into this lion's den. And the lions overpowered them. Now, King James says the lions had mastery over them. There was no escape. And broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Every bone in their bodies was shattered by these hungry apex predators. It was just that those, one writer says, it was just that they who had torn Daniel's character, remember, 
had saw, and sought the tearing of his person should themselves be given to be torn to pieces. And you might say, man, that's harsh. They never touched the ground and their bodies were destroyed and their children, their families. The writer wants to make certain that you and I understand, the reader, the miraculous deliverance of Daniel by highlighting the tenacious appetite and the ferocity of the lions. It's one thing to read about Daniel surviving, but it's a whole other thing to come to grips with the reality that these were real lions. They were real lions. Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16 speaks about those who seek iniquity, bring forth iniquity against others. It says, Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity, yes, he conceives trouble and bring forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he dug, which he made. His trouble shall return upon his head and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own crown. Now think about that in context of what goes on today. And we have some violent people out there. Now, the Lord seeks to save all who will repent and come to him. But know that sometimes the wicked are taken out. Now, we have to understand, again, we said it, uh, one, one writer put it this way. You and I, in today's context, the actions of the king seem very extreme. But in the ancient Near East, the execution of families because of an individual's actions was a common practice. The Old Testament contains both the concept of individual responsibility and corporate guilt. In this instance, corporate guilt links the fate of the entire family to the activity of the family leader, the father. Darius chooses to rid his empire of the conspirators and those that were related to him. In addition to eliminating the guilty parties, this would also prevent future retaliation against the throne by children whose fathers had been executed by a royal decree. Now, Deuteronomy speaks against this. Deuteronomy speaks against that the father is being responsible for the sins of the sons and daughters. So that's not a God thing. That's just what was real in that day. And in our modern context, you would say, you know, like a mafia assassination where the entire family gets taken out, even the innocent ones. So, you know, be that what it may. That, that, that's exactly what happened. That was the time they lived in. Um, and those were real lions. And God delivered Daniel from real lions who meant to eat his flesh and crush his bones. And because of this, King Darius published a declaration in verse 25. Because of what he witnessed and what he saw. He said, he wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. So this was an inscribed message that was written to the whole earth. You say, well, how could it be the whole earth? Remember, like Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Darius also claimed kind of a universal rule. And the size and strength of his army justified his claim. A little further, at the height of its power, this dynasty, the Medo-Persian dynasty, encompassed approximately 8 million square kilometers, according to one, and held the greatest percentages of the world population. And remember, ancient world population is difficult to determine, 
But it's estimated that during that time in ancient, in ancient culture, ancient world, we had perhaps 100 million people on the earth. This is not an exact number, obviously. Uh, we, you know, until they started keeping modern census, and now we know we've got nearly 8 billion people on the planet. Uh, it's grown in exponentially, actually, hasn't it? We've certainly populated the earth. And that particular dynasty stretched three continents through Europe, Asia, and Africa, and was territorially the largest empire in what's called classical antiquity. So he could say all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, and he'd be pretty accurate. And then he goes, peace be multiplied to you. He says, you know, in other words, peace would grow great, would be multiplied to you. And then here's his decree. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Every dominion. They must shake and be made afraid before the God of Daniel. This decree went farther than Nebuchadnezzar's previous decree. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar made a decree many years prior, and he declared in Daniel 3.29... He said, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces, because these people didn't mess around, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. And he said, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So, you know, he's like, you can't even talk bad about Daniel's God. You can't talk about him. Well, here, uh, this, this king uh, is saying, you will be made afraid of this God. You will shake with fear all men. And why? For he is the living God. Now this pagan king gives several biblical reasons why men and women should fear God. First of all, he's the living God. He's alive and he's obviously very powerful from what he can do with signs and wonders and all the things he's done. And his steadfast, he's steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. So he's the living God his kingdom will not be destroyed. And, and this, this king has lived long enough to see kingdoms come and go. It says here, he is absolutely sovereign, speaking of God, and that his dominion shall endure to the end. In other words, till the conclusion of all things, this God, Daniel's God, the living God, will be in charge. Verse 27, he delivers and he rescues. Not only was he a great God and powerful, but he delivers and rescues. He frees those. He can extricate those from danger. He delivered Daniel from the lion's den. And notice he works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. And we see it. We see it here. We see it all around. And then he says, uh, by way of example, he has, worked, he has delivered Daniel by the, from the power of the lions. God has the ability to support the authority being claimed of. Not only is he, you know, great and mighty, but he has the ability to support it. And all of time and history proved this over and over and over again. Think of all the miracles being affected by God right now in Ukraine that you haven't even heard of yet. You haven't heard of them. You haven't heard of the people that are coming out of that nation. Some of you have. But you haven't heard and you will hear testimony for weeks and months and years of God doing mighty things and powerful things right there in the midst of war. It's, it's going to be part of, you know, the news media may not say it much, but you're going to hear about it, and we are hearing about it. So the king's degree was 
His decree was good. What the king said was good, but he needed to take it a step further. Because relationship with God is just that. It's not just fear. It's an actual relationship where you and I can love and worship and give glory to God through a relationship with this mighty God through his son, Jesus Christ. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Talking about the gospel being preached right there near the end of the great tribulation. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. Now today the Lord would ask each and every one of us to deliver that message. That's the message that we have for people. And so we're offering the way of the master class, and I know about busy schedules and commitments. We're offering this as a way to equip us, to better equip us to be able to deliver that important message. And it starts next Monday night. We already have plenty of books. You don't have to pay for them. So I invite you, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, and you can carve out some time to learn how to be a better witness for Christ, I can't think of a better time. When you look at this world and the way it's going, I cannot think of a better time to be wanting to be equipped. And I know it's, it can be fearful, and it can be very challenging. I, I, I mean, I shake in my boots thinking about telling somebody about the Lord many times. But we need to encourage one another. And we need to say the things that the Lord... We, we are his mouthpieces now. Daniel prospered. Look at verse 28. And so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So once again, God prospers Daniel. Now the interesting thing is this verse kind of bookends verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. You know, chapter 1 in Daniel, verse 21, it closes out the narrative portion. Okay, excuse me. It says, Daniel 1, 21. It says, this Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So when he was taken in as an exile, the, the writer spoke and said that Daniel would continue all the way to the first year of King Cyrus. Now, as we leave chapter 6, we move into chapter 7. We leave the narrative portion of this, which was written in Aramaic, we're getting ready to come into the, uh, the prophetic portion of the book of Daniel, the, the apocalyptic prophetic portion of Daniel. And so after next week, we will pick it up in chapter 7. But notice it was in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we've been hearing about Darius the Mede, and I told you we would hear about Cyrus the Persian because Darius the Mede is hard to determine his true name in historical records. But Cyrus the Persian is known well by all historians. And God preserved Daniel through the end of the exile, which is in 538 BC. And when we get to chapters 10 and 12, we're going to see that Daniel is actually still in Babylon during the third year of Cyrus. So, you know, God called him to a special thing. And we, we, we will talk about it. Uh, but that, that whole event, you can see in 2 uh, Chronicles 36, 
verses 22 and 23, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth of the Lord, uh, of the Lord of the earth, excuse me, the Lord God of heaven has given me. You know, again, a powerful king. Now, the Medo-Persian Empire shifted from the Medes to the Persians, and all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord has given, uh, and, uh, God of heaven has given to me, and He has commanded me to build Him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all His people. May the Lord His God be with Him and let Him go up. So He releases the captives. The captivity will end. And this is also recorded in Ezra 1, 1 through 4. Again, all the things that were, were prophesied about, that were spoken of, they, they come true. And Daniel is a book that is so accurate that it blows people's minds and it caused those from you know, the school of higher criticism to try and say that it was written many several hundred years later because nobody could have that kind of accuracy in their prophecies. <laughs> As we conclude, we see... That the life of Daniel, his courageous faith, his prayer life, and the fact that he was silent before his accusers, knowing that they were acting out of jealousy and self-preservation, and then he was tossed into a lion's den. We see what's known as a type of Christ, typology if you will. Remember that Jesus was falsely accused in order to end his life. He chose not to defend himself or to retaliate, by which he went on to pay for our salvation and to be our example. Our final verse in this message, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24. He says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor there was, was there deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges rightly. He trusted God, the Father, who bore himself, uh, excuse me, who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our message today, Lord. We thank you for the word that you've given us, Lord. And once again, Lord, we humbly ask that we would take this understanding, this truth that you have given us today, and, and may it stir our hearts to want to do the things you've called us to do. Lord, we want to be participants in this relationship we have with you. We want to be able to express our love and our gratitude to you with a clear conscience, Lord. And yes, you are so gracious and you are so merciful to us in all of our shortcomings. But Lord, please go before us now. Strengthen us, strengthen the church in this world, Lord. You see it all around. You're not surprised by any of the things that take place. Nothing catches you off guard or off balance, Lord. Yes, we live in a world that's fallen. We live in a time of wars and rumors of wars and false teachings. We live in a very difficult time, but you decided, Lord, that we would live during this time. 
It was by your will that we would be the ones who inhabit this earth temporarily until you call us home. And so, Lord, you've given us each a call. You've given us each a call to tell others and the world around us. Because it sure looks dark to me. It looks, it looks dark out there, Lord. You, you can bring a revival. You can do whatever you're going to do because after all, you are in charge. But Lord, may our hearts be stirred. May our hearts be stirred to live the life that you called us to live with boldness. Empowered by the word, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Encouraged by one another. And all for your glory. All for your glory. Go before us now. And this we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Well, let's stand. We're going to close with a song, but let's stand and say this out loud together. Number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.